in a world where myths, half-truths, and fake news soil the world of the Silver Ball. A shining light appears from the Coastal Pinball Research Center. Welcome to Vancouver Island Pinball. Welcome to the uh, 21st episode of the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. I am your host, Dan Bitterlich, along here with Daryl. Um, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, Yegpin, which is just wrapped up in Edmonton. Uh, Western Canada, for sure, is the largest show and possibly the largest one in Canada. Um, we've got interviews with a couple of the players that were there, Julie Dorser and Mike Dimas, the shenanigander. As well as uh, we wrap up with a conversation with the uh, host and founder of, uh, of Yegpin, uh, Derek Thompson. Uh, we've also got a tech tip uh, this month. Uh, Daryl, what's our tech tip? Well, in this uh, episode, we're going to interview a local, uh, I guess, collector and restorer who's just taken on a really difficult uh, EM machine and brought it back to life. Well, that was uh, an EM that we had a little bit to do with too, didn't didn't we? There's a bit of a story about yeah, yeah. very cool. And that'll all uh, come to light. Yeah, yeah, we've got that, and um, I should mention also that uh, the largest tournament in uh, Vancouver Island history uh, is happening this coming Saturday, uh, August twentieth, uh, up in Cedar, uh, suburb of Nanaimo. We're we're holding a the Mid Island Double Header, which will have a target match play event to start and we'll end with a four strike tournament uh the event is sold out however there is a waiting list uh if you're interested please contact uh, black diamond antiques and uh they might have a spot for you day of who knows Uh, hello again, it's uh, Dan Bitterlick here with the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast, and uh, today we have uh, two special guests. A uh, little bit of background, we originally were going to record this with uh, both uh, Carrie and Ashley, locals here, who were going to Yegpin, but on the Monday morning, I get the message that uh, they've come down with COVID. Luckily, I uh, had a couple friends that were going, um, and uh, they were kind enough to agree to come on and, uh, you know, to basically describe their experience at Yagpin. And I've got uh, Julie here and uh, Shenanigander Mike. Can I be uh, here or can I be Ashley? Which one am I? <laughs> <laughs> yes, as, as the shenanigans start already. <laughs> Very shenanigans. She's awesome. And They're I was really sad awesome. that I didn't get to see her. Yeah, well, they were they wanted to see you, and uh, you know it was quite disappointing, especially since they had been to Tacoma just you know a month before, and they were looking forward to their second away tournament. But things happen, you know. What can you do? Um, but thank you both for for agreeing to come on. We were talking while while Yegpin was actually going on, and uh, so uh, I've seen some of the videos. Mike shot a ton of video. Uh, I saw that you guys flew out uh, using was a swoop. Yep. So, so many was, babies on the plane. Oh <laughs> my god! Screaming well, babies. How about this kid that you punched in the face there? Now that you mention it, yes, a kid may have been punched <laughs> in the airport, accidentally well, trying to give him a fist bump. Yes, it and was a fist bump. And recorded it on video, uh, incidentally, and it is available. If it you is. Want to- 
I, I 100% give you credit for not just burying that somewhere. It gave well, me a laugh, the but no. Story, Dan. So okay. we, you know, there's like, we're in the Hamilton airport, which has a Tim Hortons and vending machines. That's your options for food. So we, <laughs> we get a sandwich from Tim Hortons and there's not even enough tables to sit at. So we're sitting in these chairs and this little kid who is going to be on our flight because there's Hamilton has like one flight going out that day and it's our flight and he's running in a circle and I'm like, keep running, keep running. I want to wear this kid out. So he sleeps. Right. And so then he started doing like going up and doing fist pumps with us. And I would like, Oh yeah, right on go to that guy. And then he act like Mike was trying to video and the kid bobbed. Yeah, I know my camera, right? Not what? actually at him. So yeah, there's a little miss, uh, judgment there and uh he kind of ran into my fist but and yeah, that, that kid... is what that is what actually happened folks i don't want to make it sound like mike's going around beating up kids anymore he stopped <laughs> no, that long a, ago small little ball. he was kind of slightly mesmerized for a second there but then kept on uh running laps shortly thereafter so oh, he yeah he kept going no 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 but it, it just it just made me smile it's like there's an auspicious start to the trip but, know, right? uh, and with all the stuff going on in airports it's amazing you guys basically were able to get a clean flight out of hamilton it was a little late i think was it leaving or yeah so bad uh you know leaving but coming back our flight got canceled and then canceled again so we actually had to stay an extra couple nights so oh, we you know we booked uh airbnb and did the touristy thing afterwards so made the best of it and we knew that going in so there was some flight shenanigans but uh it, it worked out well because we ended up doing some fun stuff afterwards that's cool and i'm actually mary and i are going to be doing that in uh in about two or three weeks we're going to spend some time in edmonton and uh, check things out so cool oh, nice. So you guys land, and uh, I saw four people into an Uber because uh, Sean uh, Sean was with you, and uh, as well was uh, Mr. Teolis was there too. So he was he happened to be on our flight, so we shared a cab, saved yep. us money. Yeah, and we're all staying in the same. We basically for three days didn't leave uh, like a three block radius. Okay, so. <laughs> so, so there's good so there's good hotels right in there. that was that was snug it was it looked snug it, it, it definitely <laughs> did look snug but um so so basically there are hotels on site is that is that there how was, this works there was a best western okay there was the venue there was uh like kind of two or three plazas with several restaurants mm -hmm. and that was about it <laughs> but that you know what that's still all right but it was fine had everything yeah. we needed yeah exactly the restaurants were good yeah was uh, this the, the texts barbecue and the and the ufo pizza it was all good okay. stuff because I, I know somewhere around there's a is the furthest west st louis uh bar and grill st louis bar and grill for wings because I, I have checked that out um because nothing comes very west with when it comes to that stuff. So they, they've got one somewhere in that neighborhood, I know. Oh, we did not yeah. see that. Okay. Well, it's, uh, that's something when I see you guys there next year, it's, it's oh. somewhere that we're going. Yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> so uh, check-in went all right as far as the tournament went? Yeah, we checked in the Thursday night, okay. um, which then we didn't have to get up as early. Or, you know, we didn't have to worry, right? We were checked in. Mm -hmm. uh, so we just went to the venue, checked it out, uh, checked in. 
The staff was really nice. They they had they did have really good staff. Okay. Um, so we were really happy, and we did. I think we looked at the free play area. We checked out the free play area a little bit, um, and then we went back to the hotel and went to bed. We went for yeah, dinner with Teolas. Even the check-in process was Pinberg-esque, uh, right down to the lanyards they gave you, and having a pre-check-in option like you know Pinberg did yeah. at a different venue. But this was at the same venue, so you could avoid the major rush and the lineup the the morning of. So check-in was smooth. Very cool. Um, now, and just when we talk about the venue, the, these were were they hockey rinks or what exactly? What because I, I know they had soccer pitch. Oh, okay, like an indoor soccer pitch. So I I think it, it's a it, the building is basically a giant rec center. Okay. So there was a ho- there was a hockey there was hockey going on, um, and then where they had the pinball, I think it was soccer because I asked and they said it's soccer and they basically put these tiles down to cover the pitch, and so it wasn't as hard as cement, which was good. Right. Oh, it was okay. a little bit softer. It was a little bit right. nicer to stand all day. Um, and there was seating. Yeah, I noticed like, that. Yeah, I noticed that in your videos that basically, especially in the tournament areas, there were lots of seats so that when you weren't playing, you could be sitting. Which, yeah, uh, they, they had they had lots of seating. My only issue with the venue is. It was far to go to the bathroom. The room. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see, had to like, you had to, yeah, go do a, like a kilometer run to go to the washroom back. But, uh, we well, Julie, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, Julie, you didn't play in the old Papa headquarters, I don't think. Yes, I did in Carnegie, did. yeah, yeah. Oh, so you did Carnegie. play there. Yeah. Well, that one had washrooms that were, were you know, almost non existent for the for, for women, like that was. Um, you know, I, I just remember for the men, whenever we started around, it was just crazy. So, yeah, I remember that, but they had a women's washroom in Carnegie and I remember it was never busy. <laughs> well, they, well, remember they flipped them because the last couple of years they made the men's, the women's and the women's the men. So they gave men more stalls and the women had urinals because they did, there weren't as many women playing. So they, they they had uh, fewer stalls and and that was their the, the solution. I mean, it, they, there was no way to have a perfect solution, but I digress. <laughs> yeah, so, so it was a bit I, of a jog I, I, in between rounds. You had to like you know go for a run um, or between games even. But uh, okay. the one the one arena was filled with all the tournament games, and the other arena was all the free play games. There's probably about a hundred different tournament games in total, and oh, then. Wow another hundred uh, in the free play area as well as all the arcade games and the vendors. So that's how it was sort of laid out. And so you had to go all the way out and around by the hockey rink to go to the bathroom. And there were bathrooms by the, beside the soccer, but I think they would have had to have like security because you could get outside from there or something. So Mm. I do understand the logistics of that. Um, the bathrooms were clean. They were actually really clean for a hockey, you know, rec center. Um, so I mean, it is what it is, Uh, you know, well, it sounds like a pretty positive venue. Yeah, it was, it was a positive venue. Yep. 
So now the highlight of the show, or at least for myself, and, well, and for both of you, because you were both people that I was at Pinberg with all the time and everything else, and, you know, Pinberg disappears, is the very first tournament, the biggest tournament, is their version of Pinberg. The match play event, yep. Yeah, the match play event. How did it go? What did, you know, how was it? I played too well the first day. <laughs> she flew a little too close to the sun. So yeah. well, I... I ended up in A division. Okay, but still, but I was forty seventh means... out of like sixty whatever in A division, mm-hmm. and my last round in the first day. You know how the first day it fig- you figure out where you're going to be. Yep. I had to play Mike and Sean. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, so round five. Day one, <laughs> day, day one, you play five rounds of four, just like of four matches, uh, four games, like Pinberg. Yep. And however you play that day determines what division you're in the following day, if you're going to play in the A, B, or C. And then you need to place in the top 24 of each of those divisions the second day in order to make the finals on the third day. So, uh, yeah, Julie played a little too well on day one, so she got stuck in the uh, kind of bottom of the A division. If she played just a little worse, she could have been at the top of the B division. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it was it was run just like Pinburg. It was like all three tournaments that they had. Well, actually, they had five tournaments. They had the main match play. Then they had a pump and dump style tournament, the charity knockout. Yep. Then they had a kind of high stakes pro tournament, yep. which was the old Papa format where you got to play five games and they all count on your one ticket. And they all have to be good or else, you know, you're, all those scores count towards your one ticket. Yep. Uh, if you have one bad game, then that could bring your whole ticket score down and, uh, you know, you may yep. not qualify. So all three formats were, everything was so Pinbergish. It was great. It was, uh, I thought I was in the States from time to time because it felt so Pinbergy and <laughs> I, well, I uh, time, yeah. like time warped and uh, tournament warped a couple times. So, sort of Pinberg slash Papa, right? Because Papa is yeah, the exactly. is the card format that you're talking about, and yeah, well, uh, Pin Pinberg is the match play, right? Um, yeah, no, I mean it's interesting to see that we've had uh, Indisc has started to do out here has started to do card format too, going away from uh, Herb or Pump and Dump, whatever we want to call that. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm mixed both ways um, because you know spoiling cards is is it hurts. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's different formats. Yeah. And it's, it's ruling, it's very tough that, that five card format or five machine format. Um, yeah, fortunately, uh, I, I managed to, uh, play mediocre, uh, on all five games. So I actually was able to qualify for that tournament. So that was pretty sweet. Um, top 16 made it. Nice. And, I had kind of forgot that I prepaid for that tournament. It was 50 bucks, but I didn't really realize that it was $50 for one attempt at five games. Mm-hmm. So after I played my first ticket, I was like, oh, that was pretty good, actually. I don't think I'm going to do any better than that. So I'm not even going to bother playing again. And then only after did I realize it's actually $50 for one try. And yeah. I'm like, oh, thank goodness I, I, I did well on the first <laughs> try. Cause that could add up real quick. I mean... Well, that you was know. basically their high stakes, right? Like, I mean, that uh, was, yeah. um, which is what we're seeing more of now. They're trying to sort of create different divisions for different levels of people that want competition. Sure. So, and uh, the other, one of the ter- other tournaments was the youth one. Now, neither of you qualified for that. Um, however, 
No, you're just too tall, Mike. Um, uh, and then, uh, by by no means the least, actually, probably one of the biggest women's tournaments in Canada or Canadian history uh, happened as well. And Julie, you were in that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I know where we're going with this, but uh, so. Um, yeah, that first round was a little different. Uh, maybe you should let the listeners know what happened. So um, Jordan, I think his name's Jordan. So they did a roll call, which I don't know why you would do a roll call and not have people say they're there. Like they just said the names. Right. So I ended up in a group of three and the third person didn't show up. So Jordan comes over and says, well, you wait four minutes. And if the person doesn't show up, you just plunge their balls like they're playing. I went, okay. So I was playing with, I think her name's Dewanda or Dewinda, or it's, it's a name I probably don't enunciate properly. And she's actually a really good player. I think she's from like Seattle or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. And so we played our four games and the third person didn't show up and I was like, oh, well, I guess I guess I'm going to get six in my round because I came in second in every game. Right. And um, one of the games I don't like, it's Dungeons and Dragons. It has a weird uh, four flipper thing. Mm-hmm. It's actually not four flippers. It's two flipper buttons and then two buttons to prevent the ball from draining. And you have to right. turn it perfectly yes. and it's painful. So... Uh, I, I actually played it really well, but she played it better. <laughs> mm. um, anyway, so I came out with a six and I was like, okay, well, that sucks. But, you know, it is what it is, right? right. Like, it would have been nice to be in a four-player group. Um, so then I'm playing my second round and Derek comes up and says, oh, you have to have a zero. And I was like, what? He said, you get a zero because there was only two people in your group. I said, well, there was supposed to be three, but the person didn't show up. That's not my fault. Right. And he said, I know, I'm sorry, uh, but that's the rules. And I was like, what? Like, so then you're like, okay, how do I come back from this? Because that's really hard when you get a zero to climb back in four rounds to get to qualify so i was totally bummed uh you know and women were coming up going what happened why do you got zero (laughs) and i was like it's the rules and um i said well you know you could have just had a piece of paper with everybody's name on it and you know somebody comes in and you check your name off he goes i know i know i said because first of all the microphone didn't work very well like it was like you were at a transit station. It was like, and you didn't, you couldn't even hear half of what they said. Right. Because I guess that's the rec center's microphone system. Mm-hmm. So I said, why would you even do that? Like, why would you bother saying everybody's name instead of just having people go up to a desk and check in? Just like you do with the match play. Well, as you, or as you come into the beginning yeah. of the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Or or that day, because not yep. every woman played in the match play. So that day you say, oh, you got to go check in at the desk. There was only like 40 of us. 
Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be that hard. It would no. take less time than announcing everybody's name and not saying here. So I understand that, you know, and though Dave Stewart's daughter, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know her first name. She was upset about it. She was like, we don't do that when we play a tournament. If there's a two player game, they have to get double the score, blah, blah, blah. Like, and she went up and talked to Derek. So <laughs> I think Derek got a lot of grief over it. And I think he'll change something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I ended up, you know, I ended up in the middle of the pack. I played okay, but, you know, I kind of felt defeated after that. Well, you were only yeah. playing four of your five rounds, basically, is, is, is how it came out. Just because of who you were playing in the first round, right? Right. Because, because you were taking zeros instead of ones or one and a halfs, I guess, if you were in a normal three player group. Yeah. I, I mean, I will, I will say that, uh, you know, you talked to me, uh, while it was going on and, uh, we both chatted with, uh, Derek as well. And he was very upfront. Um, he fully understood the, the confusion and the anger. I mean, it was very normal. Um, but to the same extent, I will say that he did according to his written rules, follow the procedure that he had to. Um, which, I'm not, I'm not, which I get it, right? Yeah. But they could have had the the initial start. So they were mm-hmm. 15 minutes late already. Yep. Um, you know, because they were trying to announce these names and we couldn't, nobody could hear and, and half the people weren't there yet. So they could have saved time just by doing some simple procedure. And then you would have known that person wasn't there. Right. And, and And then you could have reset it. Right. So in hindsight, we can totally see where there are areas that could have been done better. But again, I'm just going to reiterate that that uh, although I wanted better for you, they did follow their procedure. Flawed as it was, they they followed the procedure that they had documented. So so, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. It's an unfortunate event. I'm sorry that it happened to you. Yeah. Um, but the good news is I do think that they'll revisit it and that this is how things get better, right? That's the only way things get better because yeah, if and, nothing bad ever happens and nobody knows how to fix stuff. And, you know, the other thing is I, I ran like tiny tournaments, right? And Mike's mm-hmm. run tournaments and we've run Lopple, but it's a daunting task. Yes. Like what Derek and Jordan have done is, is a very intense thing and it's their time. Like they're not getting paid. No. Right. So you have you have to like you know I I was upset, mm-hmm. but I I I told him I understood. Like I said, it sucks, but I understand. Yeah. Right? And they're not to criticism too. They're they're totally you know they want to improve and do better, and and they're open to constructive constructive criticism. And for the for the monumental task that they pulled off, uh, all in all, it was you know very positive and uh you know with they had about 70 volunteers to help them it was a very monumental epic uh tournament weekend they pulled off and you know for the most part it went off without a hitch it was it was awesome it really was and we'll definitely be back um you know a couple hiccups here and there but uh you know having a having a jug for a climber to use the the men's room is uh actually uh you know burned a couple extra calories so there you go it helps your step count for the day, you know. We, <laughs> how we, how we, was our step count, Mike? Right? <laughs> did like ten thousand a day at least. It was, uh, yeah. it was some good exercise there too. <laughs> but uh, 
so so and then, I mean there were a couple other things I know that uh, again I'm referring to your videos uh you know on uh, pinball shenanigans um you know they had they did have some vendors uh I noticed um that they had somebody making uh, models I, I think uh sort of uh you know 112th um size models of pinball machines that you were showing Mike and uh, yep. a couple other things yeah there wasn't a whole lot in terms of vendors but the, the couple that were there were pretty cool. And, you know, they did have all the newest, most shiniest pinball machines there. They had <laughs> Alien. They had Legends of Valhalla, the Toy Story 4. They had um, Alice Cooper, um, the big Lebowski. Um, so they had all the new shinies oh, wow. there. Yeah. We got, you know, we got a chance to kind of play a couple That's balls a, on yeah. most of them. Which is uh, excellent considering COVID and everything. A lot of us hadn't played those machines right i hadn't laid eyes on most of those or let alone played them so it was first for for me on most of those games uh the first time we saw uh toy story did i say that right julie saw did i saw scene scene saw you, <laughs> you said it perfectly i'm very proud of you i'm the grammar police dan yeah. <laughs> okay so first time we saw <laughs> Toy Story opened up. We like literally ran to it and uh, got a few balls on that. And then during playing that, I saw Alien open up for the first time because they were Alien was kind of on and off and working and not working. So right. I scooted over to Alien, and you know we had a we had fun checking out all the the, the games we hadn't really seen or played before. The I, I stuff. saw the Looney game on Toy Story. I saw that. <laughs> throw down, it was throw Looney down game on Toy Story four. <laughs> and I, I, I DQ'd myself because I ran over to Alien <laughs> on the third ball. We so, played a lot of pinball, Dan. Well, you know, and that's what I loved about those shows and, and I loved about Pinberg is you always came back from those needing a vacation. Like literally, <laughs> literally your feet hurt, your legs hurt, your wrists hurt, and you just were waiting for the next one. Like, it, it you know, you're already planning one year out. So... They're fantastic things to go to. I, I can't recommend shows like this enough for any level of person. Because, again, you don't have to be, you know, a, a hyper-competitive player. Because you've got novice tournaments. You've got different tournaments. They break down into skill groups. Um, you know, it, they, they, it's a great experience. And I'm just so happy to see now that we've got a version of this in Canada. And right now, the only one really running. Right? Yeah. And so you don't have to be uh, committed to the whole weekend long to play the match play because they have the other you know pump and dump tournament where you can just go put in a few entries and give that a yep. try so you don't have to commit to like the uh the 10 hour grind that uh is day one and day two which is ne not necessarily for everybody we love it but uh and then if you make it to day three there's another like six or eight hours and then if you qualify in the other tournaments then there's some more but it, it's you know it's a, but uh, it's a little bit of everything for everyone, uh, casual or highly competitive. Because we had, there was some of the best players in the world there. I, I don't know if you, Eric Stone, uh, sure you noticed a lot of the a lot of the names. Like yeah, Eric Stone, for example. You know, we had we had the, a ton of top fifty players, top hundred players uh, at that event, and it was amazing to compete amongst them and and with them and against them. Indeed. And in the women's group, the, the competition level was the same, Julie? Oh, well, Carrie Wing, uh, yep. Jane, I, I can't enunciate I, her. Her last name. No for ways, yeah. for yeah. ways, maybe. Yeah. Um, 
Louise yeah, Wagner. Louise, yep. Um, yeah, there there was a you know Deborah Tallman, um, who's a fantastic player. Julie there, D. Wow. <laughs> There's some pretty and solid I players did, there. I got a chance to play against Julie D and Carrie Wing as well, actually in the um, the uh, finals for the charity knockout event, and oh, yeah. that was my first time playing against her, and and she is amazing. Like she. They had a stars uh, in that event and, and in that bank, and but it was the one with the new rules, stars oh, yeah. twenty twenty one or whatever. Yep. And I think she was the only one in the venue that actually knew the rules. And uh, I I played it like ten times trying to qualify, and maybe my best score was uh, sixty thousand or something. And I, I played against her and a couple other people on that in the finals, and she blew it up, had over like three hundred thousand. But uh, you know, she she like had a book with all the rules to like every game she's ever played. Like she really studies, she knows her stuff and uh, sure, surely paid off. Cause she uh, kicked some serious butt. Well, it was good to have her up in Canada. She does a lot of stuff here with forever flip um, with Neil um, back and forth uh, promoting uh, his hoodies and all. And uh, yeah, she, uh, everything I've heard is good about Carrie. Um and, and I just think in general, like, I mean, there's a lot of good people from what I saw, watch some of the stream, uh, you know, of the different events. It, it just looked like such a great time. I was so sort of sad that I couldn't make it. But, uh, you know, no, I, I, I heard pinball a shout out because they were there from, you know, minute one to the last minute um, streaming and commentating for most of it. And, uh, you know, letting us everybody kind of check out the action. I, I went to the to their Twitch site just the other day. And uh, that video footage doesn't seem to be available right now, but I'm not sure if that'll come available, but uh, yeah. the whole event was live streamed. And uh, I think does Twitch not kill stuff after two weeks or something. Is that how it works? I think it's something, it depends on the plan you're on, I think, but uh, Twitch, Twitch will take stuff down, but I, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm definitely not a Twitch expert. But... One, one thing I liked was that, mm-hmm as a woman, you could still play in every tournament. So even yeah. if you qualified for finals as a woman mm-hmm. in the match play, you could still play in the women's, you could still play in the pro tournament, you could still play in the high stakes. Like, they didn't overlap each other. They didn't yeah, overlap each other. They made sure of that. So that was, I really appreciated that. Because well, sometimes as be. a woman, you get screwed over. Yeah, there is a lack of respect often with the organization when when people are setting up tournaments, but it's good to see. And and that that is how I see Derek. I mean, I think he's going to make sure that things are run right. And that is the right way to do it, to make sure that none of the tournaments overlap, period. Right. Like when, when you're in playoffs, right? Like that's playoffs or playoffs and qualifying again. You've got to have an option at least. You know, it will cut into your time sometimes where you can qualify elsewhere, but that's okay. Um, you know, cause, cause you can't do everything at once. You know, you can't play the pump and dump and the pro at the exact same time. So you're giving up one for the other in qualifying, you know, some of your time, but in the end, it should never be a choice of, well, I want to play in my finals, but that means I can't play in this playoff. That's, that's not, they, they did a good job with, uh, you know, orchestrating all those time frames and making sure nothing really overlapped and everything ran pretty much according to schedule. It was, it was well thought out. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it sounds like it was a success. It sounds like you guys had fun. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that uh, 
there will be even more interest next year. There was about, I think, 160 competitors in the match play this time around. And I think they're able to, you know, uh, accommodate up to 300. So Mm -hmm. I imagine with all the positive feedback it's getting that uh, that number will, will grow for next year. Well, and hopefully, uh, you know, I think there was problems with some flights, Mm-hmm. You know, flights getting canceled, flights getting changed. Yeah. So hopefully next year, you know, the world will sort itself out a little bit. Yeah. And figure some of that out. Uh, and maybe that'll help because I, I do think some people canceled because they couldn't, their flights couldn't work. Um, so, yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So hopefully next year it's a little bit bigger and it keeps growing. Yep, and hopefully uh, we can all get in next year too with with the popularity increase. It's like, I mean, the match play is always the one you got to worry about. That's always the tough one to get into when it comes to any of these things. So it's like everybody dives in to get into that, and then most of the other ones are more or less opens where you can, uh, you know, if you're there, you can play. Not not entirely, but uh, most of them at least. Yeah. Well, thank you guys both for uh, coming on and uh, sharing sharing your story and all. Uh, I think it's uh, it's wonderful that we've got such a large event. Are either of you going to the uh, Eddie and I, Eddie Walt and uh, Jeff are running stuff at the CNE this year? Are you guys heading to any of those? We're hoping. Well, I'm hoping to get out to one of the weekends. Um, yeah, there's it's uh, going to be. Uh, you know, Canadian Whopper Farm again. Lots of uh, points to be had. Tons of tournaments over the the week that they're they're running yes. it. So hoping to get out there. Something like ten tournaments, I thought. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. in that neighborhood, yeah. I actually can't make it because I'm going to New York to play. No, why would you be New going York, to New York? <laughs> New York Pinball Championship. Do you know the woman that won that in 2019? <laughs> that was Julie Dorsers. There you go. <laughs> Rainy champion. Yep. Yeah, Rainy. so I kind of have to go defend my title. For sure. Um, and I, I like the New York people. They're really fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm I'm actually going to help, you know, score keep and stuff too and hang out. It's in Brooklyn, so it should be a good time. And then the f- weekend after, I'm going to see Blondie in Detroit, so I can't go to C&E. Hey, so, uh, priorities yeah. fully understand I, I that so many things to do you know we went from doing nothing for like you know two years to yeah. now it's like i can't do everything why not <laughs> no i i hear you but i'm glad to hear that you've got some stuff coming up and uh and that you'll be able to defend your title go out and do a title defense on that one that that is great and mike uh, i'm glad to hear that you'll be able to uh support the uh the local Southern Ontario scene there at the CNE. Um, you know, I'll be I, curious. Yeah, I'll be able. To, I'll be curious to see. Uh, you know how big that is. It looks huge. I mean, ten tournaments. That that's that's massive. So, yeah. yeah hopefully, it's a good turnout. Yeah. Well, again, thank you guys both for for stepping up and uh, letting us do a proper review of this uh, most wonderful show. And okay. uh, look forward to the next time that we're all together. Okay. Great, Dan. Thank you for having us. Yep. Thanks again, buddy. We'll uh, okay. see you sooner or later. For sure. Cheers. Your machine is broke. You're losing your grip. Might be time for a tech trip. Tech trip. 
Okay, so a little bit of background here to our tech tip, uh, sort of a pinball adventure. I believe, uh, Daryl, you got contacted regarding the game. Yeah, I got contacted uh, about a, an EM, uh, kind of through a, a client, and through a friend of a friend, a very distant thing. It turned out it was up in uh, Shawnigan Lake. And uh, a very nice uh, woman owned, owned the game. Lots of sentimental value in this one. Uh, been in favor of their family and the, you know her husband, who unfortunately had, had passed. And it was uh, just basically sitting there uh, waiting as she had sold her house and was trying to find a, a, a new owner for it and someone especially that could take it on and, uh, and restore it. So we went up there and found the, the place in the yeah. back roads of Shawnigan Lake and loaded her up. And uh, it was, yeah, uh, recovered it for her. Uh, turned out that I didn't really have the time to do it. It was, it was a pretty big job. It would, had been sitting uh, for quite a long time. And I had lots to do. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I believe that a gentleman named Peter was talking to you about looking for a, a EM project. Yeah, it was one of these things. It was all just sort of uh, kismet, you know. Um, you had told me that, yeah, you were going to get to it as you could, but that you had a, lo- a backload of, uh, backlog of work. And I just happened to be down at Powerhouse at the time and ran into Peter and uh, I knew he was sort of an EM guy and uh, he was saying, yeah, I'm looking for another project and I can't find anything. And I said, I think I've got the ticket for you. So, uh, yeah, you guys were able to get together and, and uh, you know, set up something. And and I, I think it was great that we were able to pass this on. And Peter did such an amazing job with it, like he, as we'll find out in the interview the amount of detail that Peter did, um, because it was surprising, I think, to you, you know, the amount of work, even you knew it was a lot of work, but but the level that he had to go to to, to get things operating, because it was in a boathouse, which which definitely is not a great idea for a pin. Oh, definitely not. And and Peter turned out to be, uh, even talking to him initially when he came over just to uh, discuss the game, I could tell he was very persistent and some of the stuff that he's had to uh, uncover <laughs> were pretty amazing. So I think I knew he was the right man for the job. And uh, yeah, he was very happy to take it on. Well, maybe, maybe not happy every day of the restoration, <laughs> but uh, it turned out to be a, a good thing for him. Yeah. And so for our listeners now, you know, this is the longest int- introduction we've ever done. But uh, here you go. Here is your tech tip. Hello again. We're here with the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. I'm here with uh, I'm Dan Bitterlich. I'm here with Daryl and with our friend Peter. And uh, we're visiting Peter's collection. Uh, quite an interesting uh, EM setup here. Uh, and I'm going to let Daryl and Peter talk about it. Great. Well, hi, Peter. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I uh, retired from rowing today, but uh, other than that, it's yeah, good to well, have you here. Well, it's good to see you. Several months ago... Um, from me, you received a uh, interesting uh, game of EM Fantastic, and uh, when you took possession of it, I, I've got to say I wouldn't say basket case, but I would say a, a, an incredible challenge. Uh, and you've done a fantastic job on it. What's what is your interest in EMs and why EMs? Um, EMs is probably the easiest to get to these days. It's uh, I got late into the game of uh, pinball and pinball repair and ownership. And um, the market for solid-state and DMDs got really expensive. So that is an easier way to acquire pinball. And it's also very challenging. It's also very visual. Everything that goes wrong is much easier to see and to experience than with DMDs or with solid-state machine because it always... With solid states, you need measurements and um, oscilloscopes or things like that in order to get 
behind to the root of the problem, whereas with VMs, sometimes it's a very visual problem that you encounter. Now your background, it's, it's engineering, and I think you said it's, it's electromechanical engineering? Uh, yeah, that... I'm an electromechanical, like it's, these days you would call it micro-robotics or something like that. Um, some optics, some electronics, and uh, mostly mechanics. And for the rest of my career, I was more in the mechanical business. So electronics is not my specialty. But EMs are relatively simple in terms of electronics. There's not much electronics in them. It's like a coils and contacts, and um, that's about it, really. A score motor, uh, it's quite simple to understand. Um, yeah, also I have an artist background. I'm now an artist, a visual artist, and I'm teaching watercolors. And so I'm also interested in art, and I do some kind of repainting of the uh, cabinets. A lot of them are completely worn out or rotten, and, and also do some woodworking. So, so you got, you're I basically got, a jack of all trades, and, and, sort of and they're really yeah. in for, for what EMs require. Because I know I looked at some of the touch-ups you did on uh, this Williams Fantastic that uh, that we're talking about, and the touch-ups were wonderful. They were fantastic. Mm, thank they you. were fantastic. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. But yeah, they were just like spot on. Your color matching was good. Um, I know you did some areas, so it's easier to do a color match with that, right. you know, if you can redo a whole area but uh, no they were good and the, and the machine really came to life it was uh it was a very interesting layout this is one of these machines uh and i can't really think of other ones i'm uh, i know uh wheel of fortune lately had a sort of a different bottom but this one's got a pop bumper right in the middle of the two flippers um in the lower area so so you've got some really interesting things going on on this machine as well as a uh, roulette wheel um, that's contained under the play field. Uh, and it's a four player machine. So, I mean, it's got a whole bunch of different things, of different levels of complexity in it, but, uh, yeah, it played like a champ. I was super happy with the way that it flipped. Um, just missed rolling it. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I had that, but, uh, but yeah, I was just really impressed. And I've always sort of liked the Williams flippers. I've been a Gottlieb guy in EMs, but I've always liked the way Williams flippers sort of snapped. Um, it's just there's a slight difference of them in the Gottlieb. I mean, there's there's visually there's a big difference. Like Gottlieb was sort of fatter flippers and everything else, and the Williams were more streamlined. But uh, yeah, that was a fun machine. That um, uh, oddly enough, I had never played one before. I know when Daryl first uh, acquired the machine, I was like, wow, this is going to be neat when when it gets done. Little did we know it would be Peter actually making the machine work, but... Uh, well, it seems, Peter, that you have the perfect confluence of skills and uh, background to work on this type of... I mean, you are an EM <laughs> uh, engineer. Uh, the art is a big part of uh, restoring these games. Were, were there any big challenges? What, what were the big challenges in restoring this game? Um, I just understood today, or learned today, that it was uh, stored in a... What, in a very wet environment. Yes, so it was. It was on. It yeah, was in a in a boathouse. In a boathouse, yeah. right? And uh, so one of the major parts was the corrosion that was all over. It was layers of corrosion on it. Um, the Jones plaques, for example, had two layers. I cleaned up the first layer. I thought I was done, and still didn't get reliable contacts. And then realized there's a whole other layer of corrosion on it, and I had to really get hard on it. Also, the these the um, is the first generation of dc powered uh, pop bumpers and they used a very very hard material for the high current 
that flew through the through the contacts and they also accumulated a lot of corrosion on the top and that is really really hard to get rid of it's like forming a very hard surface uh, insulator and I had to use a Dremel um, like a grinding wheel to get down there usually always told to find you know, fine sandpaper, oh, yeah. you don't get anywhere. Yeah, so start with the least was... abrasive and work up, but that sounds like you had to go yeah, the whole no, distance. Yeah, no, you had to go there. How did you clean the Jones plugs? Because that's a very, very common problem <clears throat> and something that, that fools a lot of people, I, actually. Yeah, I tried with the Dremel as well, like a, a softer steel brush, and that didn't really work, didn't go to the roots of the, of the pin. And I had to go to a tougher sandpaper and... and get really to it's yeah it was a lot of manual work it's like very um it, i enjoy that right it's like hours of work just cleaning contacts or like doing the the the, the counter in the the, how the score reels the right. score is in the back there are four score reels for every uh, player so you have 16 of those and many parts it's a very you know you know meditative work to, to clean that and to get mm -hmm. this back yeah to, we should manage your work yeah. to, it is a four-player game which adds to the complexity of the whole thing and yeah. uh, dad was talking about that center bumper which i was fascinated with i saw the game initially i didn't really understand how it would perform but it's very odd actually you could actually yeah. have the uh ball below the flippers oh yeah uh, uh, hit that bumper and have it resurface on top and go back into play and then there was the thing that Peter pointed out to us too. They uh, actually put lanes underneath the flippers directly. So if you had your flipper up and the ball, because that happened to one of your balls where the ball came sort of in under your flipper, it'll actually shoot it out and, and down to the trough. Yeah. That was sort of sneaky. Or diabolical, yeah. Because yeah. you, you can't actually see it because of the plastic. So you only find out about it after a ball's drained. It's right, like, you learn <laughs> as you go. But I guess that's all part of getting your quarter or your dime or whatever yeah. it was at the time that these started. Or, or actually how we found out with this machine, your Fenning or your Daymark. Um, you know, because this was actually a German import, uh, which was interesting too to see because I hadn't seen one of those plates and then Peter being diligent actually got down underneath the the overlays had been putting on top of that and I was able to show the originals which was pretty cool. Yeah. The other strange thing about that game is the theme is kind of hard to pin down. It's uh, fantastic is the name. Yeah. Uh, the art is obviously very 60s, 70s kind of punk but the uh, the, the image on the back glass is a classical orchestra orchestra yeah yeah and yeah uh, i don't think anyone really knows what it was or they might have changed their topic during design i guess i don't know <laughs> it, it, and, and that does happen quite frequently like you know i mean earlier more so like in the 40s and 50s um you see some of the guys that would have like you know 10 or 12 different layouts already done without themes or whatever but they were just doing layouts um because they were producing so many machines a year at that yeah. point, you know, I mean, slowly as we get into the sixties and the seventies, you know, the quantity of machines, well, definitely when we get into the nineties, the quantity of machines per, per, per year decreases, like number of titles that you run. But there was a period of time where with Gottlieb, it was like one a month, you know, and so they were just punching machines out nonstop. And then you get European variants as well and different things like that. So it, it's hard to know for sure. I'm, I'm definitely no expert on it. I've heard bits and pieces about it over the years, but 
but it doesn't surprise me that uh, it could be something that was themed late, you know, or whatever, you know, that, oh, I've got this great design with the pop bumper here and all that. Okay, well, we've got some... And the roulette wheel. Yeah, so we've got some classic art. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Where does, where does, does the roulette come into classic into music? Classic music, yeah. But it's interesting, and, and it's it's a beautiful playing game. I was was hypnotized playing it. it it's just you get some really neat balances. There's three different um, saucers that uh, spin the wheel. There's one right at the top, which is sort of a skill shot almost, and then there's two on on the sides. It had dual return gates, so you could earn a ball save, for lack of a better term, on the left out lane, and on the right out lane, it actually had a gate that would return it to the actual plunger. Um, you know, you had to earn those. But, uh, yeah, a whole bunch of features for a game of it's that era. a lot. It yeah. was pretty loaded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what's next on your uh, on your list? Uh, yeah, are, are, you looking, are you looking um, for specific games? My or you house, just see? <laughs> <laughs> my, my house is uh, sort of full. I don't have this big place. And my wife already complains about the amount of pins that I have. So two are actually in the crawl space and now waiting for whatever happens next. Yeah, I would like to restore another game. Um, I love the valleys, the early solid state valleys. That's kind of my memories back from when I was in the German military. The first, you know, we had to do that back in the days. Oh, yes, yes. Right? Yeah. And we had the valley, what was it? One Playboy, Valley Playboy. Oh, and yeah. The um, Valley. Harlem Globetrotters, which I spent a lot of money with. <laughs> love that game. I love that game too, right? With the yeah. inline uh, drop targets. Yes. That's, I would love to have one of those. But the market is very empty these days. There's a lot of collectors. I, it's hard to get anything here for a reasonable price, let's say. Yeah. And um, so we'll see. Well, yeah, I might anybody, have to trade in one of my machines and see what's happening. Yeah, if anybody out there has a project machine that. Uh, they're willing to move along. Give us a shout. Uh, yeah. Well, I suspect there's a lot of EMs just sitting unloved and unused uh, all over the place because they are uh, challenging to fix if That's you don't have right. electrical um, a background and and just the persistence that, that you need to do them. But they're yeah. very satisfying. Yeah. I would like to see more around. I think they've oh. kind of fallen out of favor, had for a bit, uh, maybe less so in eastern Canada and eastern US than they are here but it's it's so gratifying to see them and there there yeah. is a lot in them there's a lot to be learned i mean i know again being a pseudo comp comp player like i play around in different leagues and different locations and stuff yeah i miss the there, there's definitely a draw with the new players to the dmds and that's that's almost solely what they want to play and um, it it's really a shortcoming in my mind because there's different varieties of pinball machines and EMs take a certain level of skill. You can say that the luck factor is higher and it's mm -hmm. true. There's more house balls and things like that in mm -hmm. an EM, but there's still definitely, you know, the better players are still going to play better on them. So it's, it, you know, it's easier to bring your game level up on an EM because most of the rules and stuff are all straightforward. So you're just making your shots than having to have the knowledge base that you need on a lot of the modern machines because the rule sets are so complex, um, which is great. Like, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash uh, current modern machines, but there's a simplicity that, that draws happiness out of me, out of uh, these, these you know, mid to late EMs and early solid states that uh, yeah, there's just the fun factor is there. And, and that's oh, one of the things I, I always try I, to explain to people. I totally agree. My first machine is the Williams, or was the 
Williams Paluka. And it's a super simple game. It has four, five drop targets, and but it has this uh, two-inch flippers. It's really hard to aim and control yeah. with two-inch yeah. flippers. And so you have to get those four drop targets, and then you shoot the center target, and then you get an edible. So there's an edible. It's a really fun game, and we played for years on that. Um, my wife and me enjoyed that, and it's such a tough competition every time. So simple. It's, yeah. But it doesn't need to be complex to no. be fun, and that's, that's the thing that I try to with our players try to really strive in and and as you've mentioned too like with entry level it's where where entry level is right now there are a lot of fun em games that if you can get them built solidly and you don't move them around too much because the ems don't love to be moved but when they are running they're as long as they're played a lot they are pretty reliable it's when they sit for long periods of time that, that, that you tend to run more into problems with corrosion and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's something that people should think about you know, with, with the market the way it is. And if you're trying to get yourself into a machine, this is one of the alternatives. You know, and if you're looking around and can find a game that's fun, then, then you know, hop on board. Oh, definitely. And there's a, a nobility in getting these old games and, and restoring them back to yeah, life. Definitely. And, uh, uh, this one had a bit of a backstory actually. Dan and I went up to retrieve it from a, a lovely woman who um, their family played it for years. Uh, her husband had passed and they just had it stored and she was so happy that someone came with interest in it and I assured her that it would ultimately um, you know, see life again. Yes. I thought it would be me, but uh, you know, time and uh, other projects took precedence. So when Peter came along, I thought it was a good opportunity, and I'm here to appreciate it, uh, Peter. <clears throat> yeah, I really enjoyed uh, working on it. It was uh, kept me busy for months. <laughs> for COVID. <laughs> well, it's something you should take a lot of pride in because you you brought another game back to life, yeah. and that uh, yeah. you know that that's one more that isn't in a scrap heap, that isn't somewhere else, or isn't parted out, and all those are really good things. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I like your style, dude. Hello again, it's uh, Dan Bitterlich here with the Vancouver Island Pinball Podcast. I'm along here with Daryl, and uh, today we've got the uh, the head of the show, uh, the man that just, uh, along with his uh, team, put on the uh, largest show in Canada, Yagpin in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, Derek Thompson. Derek, how you doing? Great. I'm alive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you get you get that from people when you're talking to people that have done stuff. You get that every once in a while where it's just like there's such a recovery time because we're talking you know a little over two weeks now from when the show was. But uh, yeah, that's a lot of energy that you're expending, a lot of adrenaline. Um, I'm, I'm sure that first couple of days after the show was over, uh, there was a lot of downtime. <laughs> Yeah, it's never easy, and uh, just with the stress uh, that you have to go through throughout the event, uh, uh, up to the event, and then um, just you know all the tear down, trying to get everything done uh, in the time that you need to get out of there. Uh, there's definitely a lot of logistics, a lot of moving parts, and you don't get a lot of sleep. Um, you know, running these great big shows, and uh, thank God yeah, that we have such a great volunteer team and uh, just community that uh, you know really, really. Um, is is very very kind to be able to to volunteer their time and help us out and yeah it it, it is tough it, it, it there there's nothing uh, harder that I've ever done than this show this year so glad it's over. 
<laughs> well, well, you know, I've already been talking to people, and uh, just today I had people uh, contacting me that have heard about the show now and watched some of the streaming you know, from the island, and they're like, so are we getting a bigger group going next year? And I'm like, well, yeah, um, you know, like I'm going next year. It's it, 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 uh, so, so although the planning's over and you, you get your break, uh, you know, people are really looking forward to uh, Yegpin 2023. I can tell you that, you know, when, when 2020 is barely cool, you know, cooled off, it's, uh, it, you, you've built something that really has drawn attention. Yeah, we had a great reaction at the show, uh, a ton of outpour of support, uh, a lots of constructive feedback on things that we can improve and things that we can uh, do better uh, in the next uh, round. But I think overall, you know, we had a lot of very, very positive people. And I think, you know, coming out of COVID, being able to do these types of things, there was a lot of, of excitement generated, you know, with the format, Pinberg format. I don't think anybody's been able to put it on on this type of scale uh, since Pinberg. So I'm glad that we were able to get through it. Uh, glad that everybody had a great time and uh, glad that everything worked. And it just, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for uh, a better outcome out of all this. I wasn't sure how it was going to go when we were first starting to set up things. But now that I've had a couple of weeks to think on it and all the work that was put into it, I think that, you know, we would definitely give ourselves an A uh, for effort uh, for putting this on. Very cool. Um, so there's really two components to the show, right? Like there was the show part of it, which was sort of the general public, uh, the free play area, you know, different events like that, the, the vendors. And then, of course, there was the tournament side, you know, and, and it was an interesting show in that it had both. Um, now, speaking to the uh, the free play area, sort of just the general public, non-competitors that are dropping in, how were the numbers like compared to what you were hoping for? Was it about bang on or? Yeah, it was, it was definitely uh, in the range where we had about a 10 to 15% increase from previous years. And that's been going along every year that we've had the show. So that was great. I wasn't sure on how the new summer uh, dates would affect uh, the attendance on the general public side. Um, but no, we had great support from uh, Nitro Pinball. They brought, you know, the largest amount of pinball machines they've ever brought uh, with 20 machines to the event. Um, we had uh, Jackson Gee there uh, who was, um, you know, showing off all of his art. Um, and he did all of our art for our show as well, too, and just has a massive collection. And I think people really uh, were happy about that. And then uh, Cameron Labard. Uh, brought his, um, you know, all of his goods uh, to the show as well, too, and all those little mini models uh, that he makes. And that added a lot of value in the free play area as well, too. So, um, and then as well, we had Retroactive Arcade, who's been a longstanding vendor there as well, too, uh, at the event. So four great vendors that were at the event, um, you know, close to, you know, 125 uh, free play machines that were over there on that side, including... Uh, our free our free play pinball machines and another 50 uh, classic arcade machines that were in there uh, a full beer garden that was available in there i think people had a really good time in that free play area it was uh, definitely busy all weekend long very steady uh, through there but you could still go and get on any machine that you wanted to there wasn't like big huge lines on everything it was just steady the entire weekend Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I know Mike, um, Mike uh, Dimas, uh, the shenanigander, had done some videos, and that's sort of where I first started to get a feel for what was going on. And I must say, as soon as I saw the videos, I was like, 
yeah, this is memories of Pinberg. Like it, it really did feel like that because I mean, Pinberg had a free play area too. And, and it was just, it, it's just really good feelings because of how well received Pinberg always had been. And, um, again, that you were able to create this. So that's good to hear the number numbers were good. And I know that the tournaments themselves were also well attended. So you started off with the biggie, the, uh, the match play, um, championship that, uh, basically was Pinburg North, um, for, for lack of a different term. Um, and, uh, yeah, you, you drew some really big hitters into town to play in that tournament. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, negotiating with a lot of the top players, uh, you know, around the world, trying to get them to come uh, to this tournament. And, uh, you know, it worked out really well. Eric Stone ended up winning the tournament. Uh, I met him in Florida at the World Championships and uh, was able to tell him all about, you know, what we're doing and what we're all about. And he was really excited uh, to come in and play. And uh, just, you know, a number of great players such as Jim Belsito, um, Carl D'Angelo was actually supposed to be there, wasn't able to, to make it last minute, uh, but we had Johnny uh, Monica, um, you know, just a number of top end uh, players, Derek Price, Bob Matthews, uh, a number of the top 100 players in the world um, were there to, to help support the event. And, you know, a lot of them are my peers, a lot of them I play versus uh, in other tournaments. So really glad that a lot of them turned up to support the event. Uh, uh, it was really kind of them to come up and, uh, I think they all had a really good time. Oh, for sure. I mean, again, comments that I've seen, I mean, uh, Eric's actual, uh, weather cast, uh, shortly thereafter where he showed up with the, uh, the uh, Canadian money and the uh, the uh, uh, bracelet, I think it was that he won, right? It was a uh, he won a trophy and no, okay for the trophy uh, then, and, yeah. and a whole load of cash. So yeah, yeah that was my ten yeah. seconds of fame on uh, the Florida ne- Weather Network there. So yep. uh, big yeah. shout out to Eric, who uh, you know he's always uh, a great guy and he, he loves to promote uh, uh, pinball on on the world scale. So really appreciate uh, the shout out from him for that. Yeah. And uh, we had a youth tournament there. We actually had an Islander in there that just missed the uh, a, the A flight and ended up in the B finals. Uh, Griffin, um, I know uh, he was playing in that. Uh, then there was the uh, well, you had your high stakes, which was the pro. Yes. And how did yeah, that go? It, oh, it went really well. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure how that was going to go because you know it, it ran all. Uh, weekend long and it's the last tournament of the night and wasn't sure if we were going to be there till midnight or if we were going to end up on time at uh, the eight o'clock and it turned out you know, I think it finished about 8 30 uh, uh, and Mike uh, Tenascus ended up uh, winning that a uh, local uh, Calgary guy so uh, big shout out to him uh, you know and that's what I love about the tournament is that it enables our local players uh, to measure themselves on a world scale and by all means, we've got some great players in Alberta and BC and in Ontario and just all over uh, Canada. And it allows us to be able to to show, you know, some of these local players uh, the skill that they have and that they can compete at a world level with these players. That's a good point. Good point. Sure. So after that, you had the uh, knockout cancer tournament, which was sort of the, uh, I guess, the herb or the pump and dump style tournament that was running m- most, if not all of the uh, of the show. 
Yeah, Thursday to Saturday it ran, and uh, yeah, they, you know, I was amazed by the prize pool on that. It got up to about eleven thousand dollars, so we were able to raise, um, you know, five thousand dollars for the uh, Terry Fox Foundation. So I was really proud of that uh, that we were able mm-hmm. to hit our goal and uh, able to, uh, you know, give that money uh, back to charity. And uh, Bob Matthews ended up uh, taking home the. Uh, uh, the trophy in that event. So, um, yeah, congratulations to him. Uh, again, a, a, another one of those events where wasn't sure how it was going to go because we had a, a very quick um, knockout playoff uh, at the end and just wasn't sure. Like, we used that format in previous years, but I never did it over the course of three days before. Right. So definitely some changes and, and that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be making for next year on trying to increase the playoff format for that because, you know, you qualify for those three days and the playoff format was quite quick uh, on that one. So, you know, just some, some things for us to ponder and some things for us to look at for next year to improve the event even further. But overall, big success for all the tournaments uh, on the weekend. Well, that's great. Um, and then I guess finally, uh, the other one was, I think, the largest women's tournament that we've had in Canada. Um, yeah, no, well. I believe so. And that's kind of our mandate. Uh, we really, really want to increase uh, you know, the exposure to the women's game. Uh, I've done a lot of work to, to go ahead and do that over the years. And uh, we've got our leagues here and uh, in Edmonton as, or in Short Park as well, too. So, uh, I was so glad to see, uh, you know, 42 women uh, come out for that tournament. And, you know, there's even some last-minute entrants uh, that came into it as well, too, which was kind of nice to see. We called out the uh, the tournament, and all of a sudden a couple of days, well, oh, I would like to do that. I think they just came over from the free play area and real interest in what we were doing. So um, a number of top ladies, you know, came out uh, for that event as well, too. So really glad to see um, you know, Carrie Wing and, you know, a number of the, the top ladies around the world to be able mm-hmm. to support that and, and to come out and to really uh, show their stuff and uh, some really, really good good games uh, in, in that afternoon for, or in that morning uh, for sure on the Sunday. So we did have one, I guess, sort of a, a complication that did happen in the women's tournament. Uh, it was an unfortunate circumstance. Uh how, how the tournament started off. Uh, can you let us know a little bit about that, Derek? Yeah, so, you know, as anything, uh, you know, things get hectic, uh, you know, throughout the weekend. And, um, you know, normally we do a roll call, um, you know, at the start uh, for the tournaments uh, as we do them. And uh, for the match play tournament, we did the very same thing as well, too. Uh, we were able to go ahead and register everybody get everybody into the system and of course you do your kind of last roll call and hopefully everybody's there and every once in a while uh, you know you get a situation where someone isn't and then you're having to go ahead and call them out again to see if they are going to be there because you have to uh, especially in this format be able to remove uh, the people that aren't going to be in there Um, so in the women's format uh, there was one lady uh, that was not um, you know there Uh, we didn't catch it unfortunately in our roll call and uh, we so when we started the round, it just so happened that uh, she ended up being in a three-player group, uh, which then put that group into a two-player group, um, which then you know has some complications because uh, you know the way the rules are written is that well you either have to win in order to get points, and if you don't uh, win, you don't get any points. Um, so unfortunately, um, you know those those two people that are in that group now are playing a real head-to-head battle in those four games 
And unfortunately, um, you know, one of the ladies that was in there was not able to win any of them and ended up drawing a zero in that round. Um, you know, just one of those things where, yep. you know, A, we probably need to do a better job on the upfront to make sure that we do our roll calls uh, adequately and make sure we get everybody into the uh, uh, groupings properly uh, right from the get-go so that we don't have those issues. Uh, but secondly, there's an opportunity for us maybe to take a look at, you know, the old Pinberg rules there and to take a look and see maybe there's a little bit more of a fair way to go ahead and devise uh, how we would go ahead and uh, score uh, when those instances where we have a two-player group. And, you know, it's just unfortunately, uh, you know, it was the luck of the draw and uh, all of the kind of kind of things fell into place uh, for that scenario to happen. And, you know, we could probably run this thing three or four more times. We'd never come up with a two-player group, but that's why you have the rules in place. And that's why, uh, you know, when they do happen and you find that there's, a problem or you know or or deemed to be a problem with one that you relook at it and see how you can improve it in the future yeah no and i think yeah, you're handling it very professionally i mean that's you know again uh with any show this size and any event this complicated uh you know writing rules that are going to work for all situations is impossible you you they have to be dynamic and they change you know after you go through experiences because uh you know you you can't make a rule for every situation, you know, that, that works. So I, I, you know, I commend you for the fact that you, you, you know, that you did have a rule in place, um, and that you have, uh, shown, you know, a good willingness to review it and hopefully create a better situation down the road. Um, you know, unfortunate circumstances happen, but that's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, uh, the fact that this is the only one that I know of from the entire, you know, number of days that you had stuff going on and all that stuff, that alone speaks to how well things were run. Yeah, no, there's there's hiccups in everything that you do. And, uh, you know, you learn with experience uh, as you go through them. And, you know, for the first year of going ahead and running, you know, this type of format, this type of tournament wasn't easy. Uh, there was only, you know, two TDs, uh, myself and Jordan Penner. Uh, who were really, you know, TDing in this event. And, you know, you're trying to make all the right calls that you can. You're trying to do everything that you can on your side to make sure that you're as consistent and and going by the IFPA rules as best as you can. And, you know, for the most part, I think we got it right. Uh, Absolutely, were there probably cases where, um, you know, some of the calls uh, may have not been right or could have been questionable at the time. Sure. And it's just a matter of, you know, getting the feedback back from the players and, um, you know, getting a a better understanding of the rulings that need to be more consistent in the future and trying to go ahead and do better the next time that you're in. We're all human beings. Uh, We're all here trying to do our best. We all volunteer our time to do this. And Mm -hmm. we're just trying to be as fair as we can. And and when we do make mistakes, it's a matter of learning from them and hoping uh, that you can correct them so that you don't make them the next time. Well said, well said. Um, and I do have to point out the fact that, uh, you know, uh, for the listeners that weren't actually watching any of the streams or weren't at the Eggpin itself, is I love the referee outfits. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was actually a surprise. I didn't even know that we were actually getting those. Uh, again, um, uh, my partner in crime there, Jordan Penner, did that in the background and handed it to me uh, just before the event. He said, here you go. We'll stand out with these. So it was... Uh, 
Yeah, it was very Canadian, I thought. And yes. I thought a lot of the Americans were like, hey, what the, what's going on here? But, you know, it caught their attention. Uh, they were able to get a hold of us quite quickly uh, whenever there were issues. And uh, so we were able to, to be very seen. And uh, I thought it was a nice touch for sure. Uh, oh, yeah. The, these were uh, just, just for the listeners again, these were hockey referee jerseys. Um, you know, zebra stripes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I just it put a smile on my face as soon as I saw the first one of you walk across the stream. And I thought, yep, bang on. Well done. Uh, very, very cool. Yeah, yeah. We try to do little things to increase the production value wherever we could. And, you know, with the stage area, with the mm-hmm. big LED screen um, TV that was in there. Um, you know, just little touches with the perfect round coins and just... You know, little things to go ahead and make it so that it adds value for people at the event. Uh, it's not necessarily going to affect the gameplay. It's not necessarily going to affect, you know, the tournament itself. But it just gives a little bit of extras and a little bit of ads for people to make it more enjoyable uh, when they come to the event. Yeah, no, and I, and I agree with that. The the perfect round, the, the coin or token that uh, people were getting for having a perfect round. I know Mike Dimas got one of those, and I uh, got to see it. And, uh, yeah, it looked really neat. Uh, I, I I love these little – and it's almost an homage, too, because that was something that we had at Pinburg. So, you know, um, yours is more colorful, <laughs> which I liked. Um, but I just thought it was a really cool thing to uh, to offer up to people, you know, because then it doesn't matter if you're in the A group or the B group. If you have a perfect round, you've had a perfect round. I think that was great. Yeah, absolutely. And we gave them away in both the uh, match play tournament and in the women's match play tournament as well, too. And, you know, just, a, again, a nice little touch. And, again, mm-hmm. you're right, is that, you know, this it's very important for – for us to make sure, you know, this event is a high caliber event. It absolutely has the best players in the world in it. But we also use the event as well, too, to go ahead and make sure that we can grow the the, the sport that we're in, in, in competitive pinball. And in order to do that, that's why we have the B in the novice divisions as well, too, because we want to bring new people in into the sport. We want them to feel comfortable in a a competitive setting and this format really allows that and it's it's a really great social experiment and i think it's the one of the best formats uh, because so many people end up making it into the playoff round so many people get that taste of being able to you know play in a playoff and be able to, to play for something or the prize money is spread so uh, greatly that everybody kind of gets a little piece of the pie at the end of the day so those are the types of things that I really, really enjoy about the format and and how we laid it out. Yeah, well, well said. Um, so, are there any ideas that uh, I mean, I I'm barely giving you time to to have a nap, but uh, so so have the thoughts gone forward to 2023 yet, or are you still sort of saying you know give me a break and uh, and you know whether it's a month or two months or three months down the road, that's when we're going to start to ramp that stuff up. Oh, well, I was doing website changes today in, in anticipation. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, it's always on my mind, and okay. I'd absolutely love to go ahead and, uh, and and continue on with the show. We've done it for five years now, so I think that, uh, you know, we'll get back at the end of the month here as a, a organizing team, and we'll go through our laundry list of, um, you know, a debrief on exactly, you know, where we're at with the show, and making sure we've got commitment as an organizing team on a go forward basis to be able to uh, to move forward and, and commit to doing it right. And once we have all those things in play, we'll be able to go ahead and start, you know, making some official announcements about where we're at. But, you, you know, if we're going to announce, it's going to be fairly quick. 
Uh, we know that there's a lot of anticipation uh, for the next show. Uh, we know that a lot more people want to come uh, to the show uh, uh, next year. So, you know, we want to announce that quickly. And we're going to make some adjustments as well, too, if we do do the show to make sure that, you know, we can handle, um, you know, the extra, you know, bodies uh, that we believe will come to the show um, if that is the case. Right. And that, and that does make sense. And that's definitely my feeling is that uh, interest has peaked, um, you know, that there's definitely uh, some people, uh, more people talking about it now, you know, after how well it was run and everything that uh, that you will see a definite increase with, without question. Um, I, I, you know, uh, I think this has been a great little wrap up. It's let people know uh, sort of what was there and, and what they can expect in the future. Uh, I want to thank you on behalf of the community for what you've done, especially with the charity part of it too, because that uh, I always like to see pinball giving giving back, but also giving back outside of just the pinball community, and and I think that's important. And and you know, and that was quite a quite a contribution that you made. So that that's fabulous. Uh, you know, I all I can say is is we will be happy to have you on board again next year, and uh, you know that we can chat about it before before the show comes around. Um, and uh, thanks again for everything that you do. Yeah, no worries. And, you know, the, the big thanks goes out to the entire community, uh, the volunteers, uh, the donors, um, you know, the sponsors, uh, the vendors that show up to the show. Uh, there's just so many people that make these events happen. And whenever you do go to a show, you know, definitely you know, pay attention to those people that, you know, organize them and run them and help support these shows because um, they're the ones that are the real heroes. They're the ones that really, you know, take on a lot of the brunt and get it done. Absolutely, there needs to be a vision and I'm happy to be that person to be able to, to get things going and get people moving in the right direction. But it takes an army, you know, to get things done and, and, and to put them in a way uh, where everything's going to be successful and run professionally. And uh, so I'm just so happy that we we're able to get through it. Um, so much hard work and dedication by the team to be able to pull it off. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing, um, you know, what the future arises and hopefully an announcement soon on, uh, you know, the next event, uh, hopefully coming soon. Excellent. Well, thank you, Derek. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon, my friend. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, folks, that's a wrap. That's the end of episode uh, 21. As always, we got to thank our house band, Ian and the Spirit of Pinball, and their new hit, New World Band. Tech suggestions and feedback? Podcast at gmail.com. See you tomorrow, Daryl and Dan.